the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is Temptation Sunday of the Holy and Great Lent. And in the Gospels this morning for Matins, from the Gospel of St. Luke, and now in the Divine Liturgy, the Gospel from St. Matthew, speaking to us <clears throat> about the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness, the three temptations after he was baptized in the River Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, as we say in the hymnology of the Church, Jesus Christ fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights. There's a, a beautiful saying, I don't know where it originates, uh, but it's as useful for us in the Gospel this morning. The saying is, you will never know who you are until you know whose you are. Again, you will never know who you are until you know whose you are. And this saying is very um, appropriate for our meditation this morning because immediately before the account of the gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The, the verses that precede this immediately are about the baptism of our Lord in the River Jordan. And the last thing that happens in the account of the baptism is that Jesus, when he comes out of the water, the voice of the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately after we hear these words, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, Satan comes to Jesus and asks him, if you are the Son of God. So we have a proclamation from the Father, this is my beloved Son. And then we have Satan who questions and places doubt into the, the person of the Lord Jesus, if you are the Son of God. And then he begins his three temptations. And this is the voice of the Father and the voice of Satan to us. The Father tells us when we are born again, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the temptations begin, Satan questioning us, are you really the son of God? Are you really the daughter of, this, of God? And so we begin with this question of identity because it is at the core of the three temptations. Of course, we can look at the three temptations and see in them the love of the flesh, the love of glory, and the love of power and possessions. But behind all of these temptations, there is a core temptation, which is the question of identity. Jesus lived in the assurance and knowledge and truth of his identity. He knew himself to be the beloved son of the Father, and he knew that this identity meant something very important, that he had no will apart from the will of the Father. He had no identity apart from the identity of his Father. He had no work, no sayings, no words, no miracles apart from what he received from his Father. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of God can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. We see this in contrast to the devil who wants Jesus to act independently. If you are the Son of God, change these stones into bread. And Jesus says, I can't do anything apart from my Father. Again, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. But if you are the Son of God, then have your own will. Aren't you a divine being? 
Don't you have the power to change these stones into bread? To throw yourself off from the, the pinnacle of the temple and be caught by the angels? To be king of all the, the kingdoms of the world? I and my Father are one, Jesus says in John chapter 10, very succinctly and, and, and powerfully. I and my Father are one. So, so Jesus hears the words of his Father, you are my beloved Son, and then immediately Satan comes and questions, if you are the Son of God. And there are two aspects to this big if. If you are the Son of God, then act and manifest your divinity, manifest your power, your authority, your dominion. Independently, though. And if you are the Son of God also means to us, if God really is your Father, then why isn't he responding to your need at this very moment in your suffering, in your trial, in your darkness. Is he really your father? Are you really the son of God, the daughter of God? When you face all of these problems, you should take matters into your own hands. Forget about your father in heaven who says, who asked you to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, no, no. You must have your own will. Take matters into your own hands. So these are the kinds of suggestions that are behind all of the three temptations. Right? And Jesus knows throughout his whole life that he is, in a sense, in the desert, he has only one voice that he hears, the voice of his Father. Later we'll see in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, we will see again Jesus alone with his Father. And he hears over and over again the voice of his Father encouraging him to go forward with the, with the mission of his redemptive uh, works. So Jesus, even though he, he sees the weight of sin on his shoulders and he sees the weight of iniquity that is being unleashed on him, he says to his father, let this cup pass if it be possible, but not my will. Even if I were to have a will apart from yours that would desire something that is good to save my life, to avoid suffering and death, but nonetheless, I have no independence. And we are, in a sense, when you say Jesus fasted for us, he was baptized for us, we are in him. And these words belong to us. If Jesus says, I have no will apart from the will of my Father, then he is carrying us in him to repeat these words and to live these words. So the three temptations are all about identity. You will never know again who you are until you know whose you are. So the interesting thing about the three temptations is that these are things that Jesus will accomplish. He will do all of them actually, but he will do them in accordance with the will of the Father and the timing of the Father and for the purpose of the Father, never for his own personal gain or show or glory. So Satan says, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus will say, yes, I will multiply from five loaves and two fish. I will feed thousands. I will make bread from, from very small matter. But when it's the will of the Father, and when it's for the good of the people and not for myself to show who I am as the Son of God. And Satan comes and says, 
If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. It is said that the angels will carry you in their arms, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus will say, yes, I will raise up my body on the third day. And I will overcome death by my own power, not even by the power of the angels. But when it is the will of the Father, when it is the timing of the Father, and when it is for the redemption of the world, even at the cost of my own life. And then Satan comes a third time and he says, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all of what you see. You will be a king and have dominion over all things. And Jesus will say, yes, I am a king. And for this reason, I was born into the world to be a king. And the angels worship me and the seraphim and the cherubim cry out to me saying, holy, holy, holy. And the book of Revelation begins with the kingdom and the dominion being brought to me and all of my, my saints and my angels joining me in my kingdom, but not apart from the will of the Father and at the timing of the Father and for the purpose of the salvation of the world. So sometimes what Satan tempts us with is not even something that's bad. He doesn't tempt Jesus with if you are God, then you can go kill somebody, and who can judge you? He doesn't tempt him with the obvious bad things. He tempts him with things that, in fact, belong to him, and things that belong to us, and good things. But he tempts us to do them independently. He tempts us to do them sometimes for the wrong motives, the wrong timing, the wrong purpose. But in and of themselves, they're good. So all that is good is only good through obedience to God. All that is beautiful is only beautiful when it's done according to the will of God. All that is right is right only when the timing and the purpose is right. And so sometimes, as we said in that second element of, of if you are, which is the question he whispers into our ears all the time, are you really the Son of God or the the, the correlate of that would be, is God really your father? Is he really a father? Does a father allow A, B, and C to happen in your life? Uh, the late uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he has a beautiful two-volume reflection on the life of Christ called Jesus of Nazareth. It's a wonderful um, reflection on the whole life of Christ. Very good for, for Lenten reading if you're looking for something. And in, in his meditation on the temptation, he says about this idea of, of the temptation for us to say, God, prove yourself. If you really are my father, then prove yourself. So he says, and we make this same demand of God and Christ and his church throughout the whole history of, of, of the church. If you exist, God, we say, then you will just have to show yourself. You'll have to part the clouds and con that conceal you and, and give us the clarity that we deserve. If you, Christ, are really the Son of God and not just another one of the enlightened individuals who keeps appearing in the course of history, then you'll just have to prove it more clearly than you are doing so now. And if the church really is supposed to be yours, you'll have to make that much more obvious than it presently is. So you see what, his, what he's saying is, it doesn't seem so. It doesn't seem that the church is really your body because of all of what's wrong with the church. It doesn't seem like 
the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church because it seems like at times it is prevailing against the church. It doesn't seem like, Christ, you are really the resurrection and the life when I'm mired in death and darkness. So you're just going to have to prove yourself if you really are God or the Son of God. This is the temptation. So as I said a couple of weeks ago, as we began the journey of Lent, Lent is really not about trying to become better. Lent is not a time for self-improvement. But Lent is ultimately about becoming more dependent in a genuine way on the will of God and the love of God. It's, it's a temptation today of self-sufficiency. Take matters into your own hands. The future is yours. Grab it. Grab it and, 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 and dream and, and reach for the skies. You are an individual. That's the, the voice of Satan. You don't need God. He doesn't really even prove that he's there for you. Take matters into your own hands, he says. So this is the allure of good things out of self-will. The allure of good things out of self-will. Again, another um, writer on, on, on meditating on the, the temptation, he says, the moment a man prepares to follow Christ, he becomes aware of the enemy and everything around him, not only in the evil and the inferior, but also in the good and the great, not only outside, but inside, in himself, first of all, because his whole attitude towards himself is prompted by sin. So the discernment that we want to gain from this going deeper in Lent, in our interior life, in life of prayer, is to be able to discern the enemy when he suggests good things, beautiful things. We all acknowledge, hopefully, that food is something good and beautiful. It is a gift from God. We don't fast because we abhor food or we, we have a distaste for, for the food that God has given us as a gift. But there is a time and there is a place and there is a context and there is a, a purpose for every good thing. And what Satan does is he just twists it a little bit. He takes our sexuality, he takes our, our bodily desires, he takes our intellect, he takes all of what is beautiful in us and created by God for a very good and beautiful purpose, and he just twists it a little bit so that it becomes self-serving, self-gratifying. And then that separation between us and God begins gradually, 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 that independence. That's his goal. The gradual then self-dying of ourselves is the goal of Lent and of our whole life. Now, how do we, how do we practice this? How do we practice this gradual dying to our self-will in order, like Jesus, to only have as our food the will of the Father? Like, you remember in the story of the Samaritan woman when they came back and they, they, they said, Jesus, you haven't eaten. He says, I have food of which you do not know. And then they asked among themselves, did somebody give him something to eat? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and that it might bear fruit and that it might remain. Right? So how do we begin to practice this? Of course, we can't do anything without prayer. And so when we confront ourselves, and I, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, our, our weaknesses, our limitations, then the cry comes out like the father of that 
demon-possessed child when Jesus says, do you believe? And he answered so honestly. And this is the honest answer of, of myself and I'm sure most of you. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I have some faith, but I need so much more faith. I have some dying of myself, but I need to die to myself so much more. So we ask for it, we beg for it, we knock at the door of God's heart asking for that grace in order to hear his voice and to die to our own inner voice or the voice of the devil which separates us from him. But then, that's not enough. There has to be a kind of training that we do. Again, uh, and, uh, and another wonderful uh, um, exposition on the life of Christ called The Lord by Father Romano Goardini. He says the following. He says, God's word is not something that must be understood completely then and then acted upon. Understanding and action go hand in hand. At first, we understand very little. But if we put that little into practice, our comprehension grows, and from our increased comprehension springs ever greater and more perfect action, because essential values become clear only through practice. Christ said, for he who would save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The losing of life already begins in the little things of everyday existence. He who performs what my will, says the Lord, will understand my will. We only have to begin here and now to experience personally this blissful spiral. So he says there's, there's this spiraling effect. The little that I have, like that the father who cries out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That little belief I have, that little ability to put into practice the denial of my self-will. He says putting that into practice will increase our knowledge of God's will which will increase our capacity and our desire to die more to ourselves, which will increase our knowledge, which will increase our capacity, and we will expand and expand and expand in our spiritual life this beautiful spiral of dying to ourselves. But we have to begin with the little things. That's why, that's why Lent can be that little thing for many of us. Just saying no to some foods can be the beginning of dying to ourselves. Just making some uncomfortable prostrations, physical worship of God can be a little bit of dying to ourself. But much more than, again, the pious things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, what about the little things that you forgive, that you let go, the little holding back of your tongue, the, the little um, extending of a, of, a, of a helpful hand, of a smile to somebody who is in need, of a, a little bit of extra patience, a little bit of extra kindness. We can enumerate hundreds of things every day that we can die to ourselves in the things that are in front of us and let that beautiful spiral take place in our lives. The final thing is we are in the wilderness with the Lord Jesus and we face Satan, but he says to us, do not be afraid. Because the mystery of Lent cannot be understood apart from the, list, the mystery of the incarnation of, of Christmas in which we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us in the desert. God is with us when Satan comes and whispers into our ear. He is there with us in, in us. Right? The, 
the epistle to the Hebrews, again, if you're looking for something in the New Testament to read during Lent, the epistle to the Hebrews is a wonderful letter to read because it, it, it explains to us Christ, our high priest, who has become like us in order to become not only a sacrifice but an example in his humanity. So St. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need. We have a companion who was like us in all things, and he was tempted. He was really tempted. He really experienced weakness. He was really human. He had human emotions. He had a human heart. We can't, our, when, we, when we reflect on the humanity of Christ, we can't just make it a theological definition. One hypothesis, consubstantial with the Father according to his divinity, consubstantial to us according to his humanity, and we've, now we're orthodox in our definition. But what does it mean in our experience of our relationship with Christ? He has become not only Lord and Master, but he has become friend, companion. He's become food, bread and drink. He has a human heart that was pierced on the cross. He knows our temptations. He knows our pains. So we have nothing to fear. And then, again, very beautifully, there's a, there's a passage in the Scripture that usually we're afraid to read because it sounds so severe. But I think maybe if we look at it from a different angle, and this will be our final reflection, it comes in the, the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It sounds very unhopeful. It sounds very frightening. Jesus is saying we should be afraid of God because he has the power to throw us into hell. That's what it sounds like. But then immediately, what does he say in the same, in the same breath? He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So what's he saying? What is, how do you go from holding hell over us to you are more valuable than the sparrows and every hair of your head is counted? How do they go together? I think that this is what the Lord is saying in this. And we can relate it to the devil's influence in the world and in our lives. The devil pretends to have a kind of influence and capacity to drag us into hell. That's, that's how we feel when we fall into temptation and we sin. We, we think that the devil has power to drag us into hell. And we say, I'm a sinner, I'm weak, I, I keep struggling, I keep committing the same sins, and the devil is more powerful than me, and he just drags me lower and lower until he drags me into hell. And Jesus is saying, no, the devil has no power to drag you into hell. There's only one person who has authority of your eternal soul, and that's God. And don't be afraid, because God cares for you more than the sparrows, and he, every hair of your head is numbered. 
In other words, don't be afraid of death, don't be afraid of hell, because the only person who can threaten you with hell is God, and he doesn't want to threaten you with hell. Your hairs are numbered. You are more valuable than all the birds of the air and all of the creatures and all of what's beautiful in the world, every fragrant flower. So that's the point. The point is is that the devil is just a dog on a leash. Don't be afraid. Jesus Christ fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights. You will never know who you are until you know whose you are. And glory be to God forever.